Welcome to Life Without Secrets. Do you often find yourself comparing your life to your friends on social media? You see the glamour, the success, the perfect family, the perfect kids, the awesome vacations. But what's really behind the highlight reel? In Life Without Secrets, we are going to dive deep and reveal the secrets, struggles, and strategies people have used in real life to get to who they are now and who they are becoming. Because the truth is, nobody is perfect. And you are never alone in what you're going through. So don't forget to subscribe to the show because it's time to connect on a deeper level and grow together. I am so excited for today's episode. I have been very much looking forward to this interview for quite some time. Today, we are joined by an extraordinary individual whose mission is to empower and uplift the lives of billions. Allow me to introduce our guest, Dr. Taryn Marie Stayschool, a trailblazing force in the world of resilience, mental health, and well-being. Dr. Taryn Marie is not just a recognized international expert. She's the epitome of what it means to ignite hope, healing, and health in both leadership and life. As the founder and chief resilience officer of Resilience Leadership Institute, her purpose-driven journey has led her to positively impact countless lives with her groundbreaking insights and practices. Her remarkable work has graced the spotlight on Fox and NBC News, Bloomberg Business, Thrive Global, and Forbes, and her book is now number one Wall Street Journal bestselling. Congratulations. Amongst other esteemed platforms, with a reputation as the go-to person and a secret weapon, she has become a beacon of guidance for those seeking to not only find but also maintain their edge while continuing to build their resilience in a competitive world. With over two decades of original research on resilience, Dr. Terry Marie has unveiled a transformative framework titled The Five Practices of Highly Resilient People. Get ready to dive into the world of resilience, connection, and personal transformation. Dr. Taryn Marie, welcome to the show. (laughs) So excited. Thank you so much for having me. It is such an incredible honor to be here. Oh my goodness. I feel so honored to have you on here with us. I am so excited to jump into this conversation. Uh, It is so incredibly nice to meet you. I have been totally looking forward to this. So, So really, honestly, from my heart, thank you. Thank you. From my heart, thank you. I'm so excited about your beautiful podcast, Life Without Secrets. What an amazing title and how you're thinking about really transforming the world and allowing people to have better mental health, better well-being, to know that it's okay not to be okay. So your message and your platform and what you're doing here is tremendously powerful. And I could do nothing but say, absolutely, yes, I will be there. Thank you so much. So I want to just dive into resilience really quick because I feel like there's still some people today that are thinking of resilience as this kind of uh, idea that they have to push through everything, like push their emotions to the side, be strong, you know, put on their armor and get to work. You know, like this is kind of, there's a lot of hustle culture and I feel like people may have the wrong idea of like, what, what is resilience, right? So for our listeners who you know, maybe don't really understand the concept or maybe they're new to the concept. Could you just start by explaining like, what is resilience? What does it mean to you personally? And how does it relate to the practices you've outlined in your book? Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with an overview of really just foundationally, what is resilience and unlearning a lot of the things that we thought were true about resilience. And so the first place that we get to start is that we often have a belief that resilience is something outside of ourselves, 
something we've got to go out and find, something that doesn't exist within us. And what I found in my work is that resilience isn't something that exists externally. It's something that is internally part of who we are as humans. And so we get to start with really flipping the script around resilience being something outside of ourselves and know that resilience is something that exists inside of ourselves. It's the essence of being human. And when we start there, what that means is we're not in a place anymore where we're going to be found wanting, where we think that we're in lack, where maybe like, maybe I'm not resilient. I don't know. You know, like there's this kind of like resilient, you know, dread that people have. And so a lot of people are out there teaching, you know, that we've got to go out and find resilience. And I'm teaching that resilience is the essence of being human. Yeah. And I I think this is so important. And like when I read the title of your book, right, the five practices of highly resilient people, why some flourish and others fold or when others fold, I was like, I have to, I have to read this book because in the ER, right? Like I often see this play out, right? Some people are met with a challenge in their life, whether that be medical or not. And they decide to put on a new lens and they move forward, right? And then there's some that get stuck there and you see them like in a cycle, like they're jumped on this hamster wheel and they're they're get, they're unhappy, they're not fulfilled, right? And then I also think about my own life in this situation, right? Like I was raised by a single mom. I, you know, was hidden by my dad till I was 18 and I became a teen mom you know, I have these things that played against me, but I, you know, I still persevered. I still accomplished these things that I wanted to accomplish. And people would literally say to me, well, you know, that's just who you are that, you know, you're just, you're Jill, like, well, that's just how you were born. And I I would always think like, I, I I don't, I don't feel like that's true. Like I'm, I'm not, I wasn't born with some sort of superpowers or something, you know, like, it was just something that like I decided I felt like, and I, you know, I couldn't really explain it. I knew there was things that would contributed probably, but your book, I was like, I read it for myself too. Like, well, did this play a role in my life? When I, as I read it, I'm like, oh yeah, like, yeah, I, I, yep, I did that. So for many people, you know, feeling trapped in the cycle of stagnation, unable to find their passion or their purpose, like what actionable advice can you offer to listeners who either feel stuck themselves or they want to be a source of support for someone struggling with feeling stuck or hopeless? So I'd say there's uh, two additional foundational elements that can be really helpful for people before we even dive into the practical aspects of the five practices themselves. And so when you say, you know, what is, what's the sort of practical advice that I can give to people who are stuck or who want to be of service or in support of others? Once we realize that resilience exists within all of us, it's the essence of being human. And it's not about going out and finding something. It's about tapping into what already exists within us. And that takes us to the five practices. But before we do that, The first thing is recognizing that when we experience moments of challenge, when we are up against change that feels unbalancing and scary, when our lives feel so complex, like just like overwhelming, like what am I going to do next? 
So I call that challenge, change, and complexity, or the three C's. And oftentimes, we've been taught to think that these moments are the exception to the rule. Like, oh, like this shouldn't be happening, right? And so the first thing is to recognize that this challenge, change, and complexity or the experiences of these things, this is the fabric of what it means to be human, right? It's not if we're going to experience these things, it's when. And when we start telling ourselves that, not expecting bad things to happen, but realizing that they will and that we get to equip ourselves for these things in advance. So what I like to say is, you know, no one learn, you know, no one learns to swim in a flood. So oftentimes we get to practice our resilience, our ability to face hard things before we're really in that moment and recognizing that when these things do inevitably show up in our lives, it's not that we've done something wrong. It's not that we're a bad person. It's not that we simply couldn't figure these things out. We can't engineer them out of our lives. And in fact, we don't want to because these are the moments, you see it in the ER, these are the moments of the greatest learning, of the greatest growth, of the greatest like aha insights in our lives, despite the fact that it's incredibly painful. So the first thing I would say is, you know, to get to a point where we know that these three C moments of challenge, change, and complexity, this is a part of what it means to be human. And it's not that we've done something wrong. It's just going to be part of our journey. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I think that is so important to kind of just realize there, right? Like it just, it's part of being human, right? <laughs> just like emotion and everything else. And there's also a challenge that, you know, it's maybe not just like you're talking about, there's the three C's and sometimes these are like physical, but you know, I find oftentimes that it happens kind of between our ears, right? Like in our minds and what is something that we can learn to like talk to ourselves in a more positive way to see this challenge? Like, is there something we can do, you know, to really shift that perspective? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So one of the things that I talk about in my book is what I call the power of I am. And the power of I am is recognizing that what we say to ourselves, to your point, in our minds, in the real estate of our own minds, that this is actually one of the greatest determinants of the possibilities that we will be able to step into and realizing our full potential. Okay, so now what do I mean about the power of I am and the real estate of our own minds? So I used to think that like the most important real estate that I had was like the home that I lived in, right? The the house or the apartment or whatever. And what I realized is the most important real estate that we actually occupy is our mind. What's right up here in our heads. And as I've worked with people over the years, I would have people coming to me and saying like I'm such a failure. I'm so behind. And I would say, well, who in your life is who in your life is telling you this? Who in your life is saying these things to you? And they'd say, well, actually not, not anyone. It's just like, that's the way I feel. That's the voice in my head, right? And so, so often we hear these things about ourselves, but it's not coming from someone else. It's coming from within ourselves. And so I 
begun to teach people about the power of I am, that what comes after the words I am in our minds are some of the most potent and powerful thoughts that we think to ourselves. And so I say that what comes after I am or how we fill in that blank about ourselves is what we will actually become in our lives. It's one of the greatest self-fulfilling prophecies that there is. And so what I invite people to do is to actually like do a self-talk audit. You know, it can be as simple as like drawing a line down the center of a piece of paper and starting to track for a day or even a week, like what are the thoughts that are coming into your mind, into each of our minds? And what are we hearing in the real estate of our own minds? And write down on one side of that line that you drew, what are the positive things that you're saying to yourself? And what are the negative things that you're saying to yourself? And a lot of people come back to me and they're like, I don't even have anything on the positive. Like I am blown away that here I am, someone who's inspirational and motivational and I'm out there cheering everybody on. And I didn't think a single positive thing about myself. And that's where we get to start to do the real work. So I think people can start today, all of you who are listening can start today with that audit of really getting a sense of what you're saying to yourself that's positive and productive and what's on the other side of that line that is really pulling you down and negative. And then we get to do the work around how you say more positive things to yourself, how you invest in yourself in terms of what you're saying and minimize the negative things that you're that you're saying to yourself. And I'll I'll say one additional thing about this which is when I did this audit for myself I was blown away. Like I didn't even want to write down on the piece of paper some of the things that I was thinking on the negative side. I was like, "Oh, like like is anyone going to see this? This is so awful." And when I wrote those things down on the piece of paper, I thought to myself, "You know what? If I was in a relationship with someone and they said these things to me, I would end that relationship. I would break up with that person. I would say, there is no way you're going to talk to me like this. So what in the world am I doing saying these things to myself in mm-hmm. my own head? Yeah. It's so funny you bring this up too. And I think this is so important. So I went to an event this past weekend and we did like like what you're saying um, and what you've studied. And we wrote down some things that were like, you know, what are we saying to yourself that is like the basis of our fear or like these negative things that we're talking to ourselves. And like you said, I I was really like, oh my gosh, do I write this down? Like this is what's coming in my head. And it was, it was things like, oh, you're, you're not going to be a good mom if you do that. People are going to think you're, you're too much. You are not doing, you know, what's good for for your family, you know, or whatever. Well, and then it was interesting because then we had to find a stranger and we had to tell the stranger that the words, but in you form, like, you're not a good mom. If you do this, you're not, you know, we had to say that to each other. And I'm like, I would never say that. I would never say that to someone. And it is, it's just like, it's so good to just take a minute to feel like, are we really telling ourselves what we should be telling ourselves, you know? And it was like, and it was things that like, you know, I feel like I'm, pretty positive person, but there's always something deeper that we can work on. It's like, we don't just become like, oh, I'm going to now talk to myself this way. It doesn't mean that these things go away. Right. Or is it like, 
how, you know, is this something that we continuously have to work on? Yes, absolutely. In fact, the audit itself is really simple and really informative, right? Because you can do it in just a couple of moments. If you're at a, a conference or a summit or a gathering, like this is an exercise that I do with people, you know, on stage. Being able to pretty quickly, you know, think through like, what are the things that you're seeing in the real estate of your own mind? What are some of the positive things that you're used to saying to yourself? And like, what are the things that are negative that you're saying to yourself? And then doing that for like a prolonged period of time, like really tracking it over the course of a day or, you know, even a week. And then the real work begins on saying, okay, how am I going to amplify the positive things that I'm saying to myself? And not necessarily, I mean, you are going to stop saying the negative things to yourself, but it's better for us as humans if we replace those thoughts, right? Rather than saying, I'm not going to say that anymore, you know, because as soon as we say we're not going to do something, we like want to do it. And so rather than saying, I'm not going to say that anymore, say, you know, rather than saying this, I'm going to say that, right? And then to consciously replace those thoughts. And this is the part that can get really hard for people because, you know, sometimes it's so entrenched. It's like, I don't know what else I would say to myself. And that's when I think this coaching can be really powerful because then I can say things to my clients. Like I asked one of my clients last week, I said, okay, if you can't think of something else to say to yourself differently, then you get to question the thought. You get to say, well, what if that wasn't true? You know, or what if I got the outcome that I dreamed of, you know, and those kinds of things. And I'll just add on one more thing, not to sort of make it too complex, because I think doing the initial audit is so powerful. And then I love working with people on this longer term to get through the complexity and the nitty gritty, you know, there are some negative thoughts that we think that are just like really sneaky. <laughs> you know, it's things like, and I found them in myself, like um, self-rejection, you know, like I, when I was writing my book and I was reading, reaching out to people for endorsements and Ariana Huffington is someone who's just been such a hero to me and such a, a leading force around resilience and, and what is it really and how can we leverage it to make our lives super positive. And so I got her contact information and I just like didn't email her for weeks because I kept telling myself like, she's not going to want to be a part of this project. She's too busy. You know, she won't be interested. Right. And like on its face, it doesn't look like I'm saying anything to myself. I'm not putting myself down. I'm not putting myself down. But what I'm doing is I'm self-rejecting. I'm rejecting myself from having an opportunity before it's even started. Mm -hmm. So one of the practices in your book is the practice of vulnerability, which I feel is just so important. Why does getting vulnerable make us more resilient? Like we're talking about these I am statements, right? And then there's vulnerability. Like, how does this make us more resilient? What does it actually look like to be vulnerable? Mm, such a good question. I love that question. <laughs> so one of the ways that I'm just so excited about getting to shift the paradigm of what resilience is, is it's not just talking about resilience as being the essence of being human, 
you know, expecting that challenge, change, and complexity will occur because that's the fabric of being human. There's also some myths about resilience that I dive into and, and look at that, in fact, are not true. And then the first practice of the five practices of highly resilient people, and I know we won't have a chance to talk about all five of them uh, today, but the first practice is the practice of vulnerability. And in fact, even in this practice, I get to sort of reteach people what vulnerability actually means. Because so much of us, so many of us, myself included, thought that vulnerability meant like just like allowing everyone to see everything, to have access to everything. And in fact, that's not what vulnerability is. What vulnerability is, is like matching our, our inside self, our thoughts, feelings, and experiences, and allowing ourselves to the greatest extent possible to let that self be seen on the outside by other people. And when our inside self and the outside self that we're sharing with the world, when those two things match, that is vulnerability right? We're, we're deeply connected. And that's powerful to your question when facing challenge for two reasons. One, when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and share what we're going through rather than putting on, you know, like a, like a game face or a facade, then people know how to help us. People can, can give us referrals and information and they can bring meals to our house and they can call us up and see if we're okay. And like we, we get the support that we need in that moment because we allow people, maybe not everyone, right? But we allow people, um, the people that we feel safe with to see what's truly going on, what's, what's real for us. And the second thing is that when we don't do that, not only do we not get the support and the resources and the help that we need, but now we're going through and experiencing something incredibly difficult on the inside, but then on the outside, we're going to like make it look like everything's fine, everything's okay. And so now we're doing what I call running two human operating systems right? We've got the stuff that, that's going on on the inside. We're burning all of this energetic capital on the outside to make everything look like it is great. Welcome right? to social media, the highlight reels, Ooh. right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. Yes. yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think we can take moments of our life that are positive on social media and say like, look, you know, here's this. We, in the spirit of like our own safety and security and the magnitude of what we're going through, you know, we don't have to put everything out there to everyone, right? But when we are actively trying to look like we are okay, when we're not okay, what that means is we're burning our energetic capital twice as fast in the moment that we need it the most. And running two distinct human operating systems, like, it doesn't work on a computer. You know, the computer slows down, it crashes. The same thing happens to us. Yeah. Our batteries are being depleted a lot sooner. Yeah. I And I think, I think that like the world we live in today, it's not just social media. I think it also is like everything happens so fast now, you know, and we have so many things that come at us like from, you know, we have our phones, we have our computers, we have all these like resources that can be like awesome and amazing and super convenient, but they also like throw things at us like constantly, you know, and like whether we're like comparing or we're just being busy, you know, I feel like it keeps 
a lot of our conversations to more of like a superficial level rather than a deeper level. I think that, you know, that's why I feel too that like what you're saying, the vulnerability and taking that time out to connect with ourselves, like how important is that to being able to be vulnerable? Like, cause I know another one of the the practices is connection. And I loved how like, it wasn't just like connecting with other people in the chapter. It was connecting with ourselves. And I like, I think that you know, I think that they kind of go hand in hand, but you tell me, I want to know your thoughts on, on connection and vulnerability and how they play together and what we can do to kind of build deeper connections and also kind of make us so we don't feel like we're alone in what we're going through. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll just say I was just talking with a woman who I think is going to contribute a chapter to a compilation book that we're working on about this exact topic uh, because and we can talk more about this um, book that I'm working on, right? But the point is that we were talking about the importance of sharing our stories. And she was saying, look, I've got this story that I want to share with the world. I haven't figured out exactly how to share it yet in a, in a, in a vulnerable and authentic way. And yet when I do, I know that I'm going to feel more connected with myself because I will allow myself to share. I mean, this is like the life without secrets podcast, right? So I will allow myself to share the like truth about who I am with the world in my own words in a way that resonates with me. And therefore, by being vulnerable, by allowing myself to be authentic in the context of being able to share my story, that's not only going to allow me to connect to myself more deeply, to know more truly who I am, it's also allowing her allowing me, she's saying, right, to connect with others in a way because now this story, her resilient story, then becomes something that other people can can resonate with. It, it can become part of someone else's survival guide. And that's the power of, of sharing our stories, at least relative to the practice of vulnerability and the practice of connection, is because we get to do one of the most, in my mind, one of the most beautiful things that we're allowed to do as humans, which is to take the hard stuff that we went through, our resilience stories, and to transmute those stories in a way that we don't just heal ourselves. And it doesn't just reinforce how like resilient and awesome we are, right? Then we tell those stories to the world and they actually like the the tough, awful stuff that happened to us, it gets transformed. And now it becomes a beacon of hope. It becomes part of someone else's survival guide. It becomes a way that we're lighting someone else's path in their darkest moments. We effectively take our darkness and we turn it into light for someone else. And if that's not purpose, I don't know what is, right? Like they're like there's your, there's your purpose. I think that's everybody's purpose in my opinion. Like if we could look at this as a real big picture. Yeah. Like, so you're doing stories. So what, tell me more about the, this book while we're on this topic. So publishing my book, putting it out into the world 
has just been this amazing, you know, experience. And there have been some parts of it that have been really, like really tough, right? The whole like process of bringing a book to the world. And then finally, finally, right, getting to like bring this book to the world. And then, you know, I think every author's hope, I mean, I won't speak for every author, right? But a lot of authors' hopes is that someone who is not related to you by like blood or marriage will read this book you know, and, and, and maybe recommend it to other people and, and tell people that they liked it. And so now just receiving this number one Wall Street Journal bestseller designation, it's like, oh my gosh, like a lot of somebody who are not related to me, like this is incredible, right? It is incredible. (laughs) And, and so for me, then it's, it's always like, okay, so how can I take what I've learned on this journey and be of service? Right. And one of the things that you and I were talking about before we started recording is like what you don't see with my book is that from the time I I wrote the book proposal, it was three years until I was able to sign with a publisher. And then it was another year and a half before the book came into the world. And so like four and a half years is a really long time to like bounce around the literary um, industry. And there were many moments where I thought, you know what, like, I, I just, I just may not make it. I may not make it to a publisher. I may not get a book deal. Right. And that that's okay because self-publishing is great. Hybrid publishing is great. And, and having shared some of my own resilient stories in the book, so many people have come to me and they've said, you know, can you help me share my resilient story? And So I wanted to be able to answer that question in the affirmative, to say absolutely yes. And so what I realized is one of my next chapters, no pun intended, is to, (laughs) you know, (laughs) to help other, is to help other people, not just women, women and men, to help other people share their story. And, you know, not all of us have a full book in us. Not all of us have like a full 272 pages of a story that we want to tell, but everybody's got, you know, one or two pages of a story to tell. And so we decided to create this opportunity, this compilation book, which will allow people to submit their stories like a chicken soup for the soul, you know, a series of uplifting stories Uh, that my team and I will then take on the responsibility of publishing, of distributing, of marketing, using what I learned in this process to become uh, the number one book in the world on Barnes & Noble, on Amazon, Wall Street Journal bestseller. And not only to get people's stories out there, right? And then that contributes to, um, you know, that sense of visibility, vulnerability, connection, and hope you know, and it also allows people to like amplify their brand and um, for more people to get to say, when I told my story, I too became a bestselling author on the Wall Street Journal. So, so we're, we're putting together this compilation book and I'm so, so excited about it and we're planning to publish it. Um, We're getting together uh, about 30 people to contribute chapters. We've got about 10 who've signed up already, which is so exciting and um, we're planning to get to publish it and bring it out into the world 2024, um, you know, sometime in Q1 or Q2 of next year. Yeah. That is so cool. So if somebody's interested, right, and they're like, you know what, like, 
I have a story to tell. Like everybody does, right? But what if they're like, you know, I I think that I really want to, you know, kind of go on the process of healing and write my story and and submit it. How do people submit? And are you I know you said you're taking 30. So like if you get more than 30, are you just gonna go somebody's gonna go through them? How will you decide and how can how do we submit? Hmm. Such a great question. Such a great question. So everyone's story is totally worthy of being told and getting to be shared with the world. So my team and I are absolutely not the deciders of whether or not someone's story should be told or gets to be told. In the context of this book, it's um, the title is um, Triumph and Transformation. And so these stories, these are really resilient stories. It's about how we faced these moments of triumph, how we've overcome, how we've been transformed by the challenges that we faced. So really what we're looking for are stories that connect with that, with that idea of transformation, with you know, making our, our test, our testimony, right, if, if you will. So that's really what we're looking for in terms of the context of the stories. And in order to participate, to get to know more, um, I would say the easiest way to do that is uh, if listeners want to connect with me on Instagram at Dr. Dr. Taryn Marie and just instant message me and, and write book and my team can right away send the link to the page to learn more about how to be a part of it. Oh, that is such a cool opportunity for everybody. So go go to Dr. Taryn Marie, the in, her Instagram, and we will also have this in the show notes, everybody. So you can go to the show notes and click on Dr. Taryn Marie's Instagram and then message her book and your message and they will get back to you on that. So that is so awesome. Everybody needs to go get this book to learn more about the practices of highly resilient people and how we can apply this to our own life. I think all of the things you talk about from the practice of vulnerability, the practice of productive perseverance, connection, uh, gradiosity. Is that how you say it? Because I was like, oh, I like, I love this topic, which is was totally a new idea to me. And then the um, also possibility. So like everybody needs to go read this, but I kind of want to shift and I want to talk about you because most of the time when people have something big that comes from their heart, which I read your book and I feel your heart in there, there and, and not only that, but your background in this topic of you know resilience, your extensive research on it, like what led you to dive into this field of resilience and do this work? So many of us, myself included, are formed by the things that happen to us uh, in childhood and early adulthood, oftentimes you know before the age of twenty five, and then we get to spend the rest of our life understanding what exactly happened and, and how that has contributed to who we are today. And so for me, uh, you know, I've got, you know, we've, we've all got more than one resilient story. And there were a couple of things that happened for me really early on uh, that were significant challenges. And there's one that I write about in the book, and I think I actually won't tell this story today because it's in the book. And so you can read about this story firsthand, and it's essentially about a very harrowing experience I had from the age of 14 to 18 that, as a result, I learned 
I developed post-traumatic stress disorder as a, as a young woman. And so what I've come to learn about myself through therapy and, and through my own healing process is that, in fact, I had developed post-traumatic stress disorder before I was an adult. And so I don't know or didn't know for a long time what it meant to be like an adult person and to not have these symptoms of post of post-traumatic stress disorder. And I'll tell you, there's a there's another challenge that occurred for me er, earlier on. And, and what I'd like to do is, is like share this challenge, kind of build it out with you, because I didn't tell the story in great degree, uh, great detail in the book. And so here it is. Starting in the first and second grades, I was placed in the lowest reading group. And by third grade, I was really fed up with being in the lowest reading group. And I saw, I saw more for myself. And so I declared to my third grade teacher that by the end of the first semester, I was going to be in the highest reading group. Now, I pretended not to see the skeptical look that she gave me. But every night, I went home and I looked at the words that day that I couldn't read or I couldn't spell, and I would practice them until I got it. And every day I went back to school and I made more notes, and every night I went home and practiced. And there I was, alone in my bedroom, at my little desk, striving toward this, you know, huge goal of advancing two reading groups. And by the end of the first semester of third grade, I tested into the highest reading group, just as I had promised my teacher, and more importantly, myself. Now, 30 years later, I got some important information that would have been useful. I learned that I was both dyslexic and had ADHD. And that accounted for the tremendous difficulty that I had in learning to read. And so over these last two decades of interviewing people about their most significant challenges, I've invested tremendous time and energy in understanding how is it that we effectively face challenge as humans? Are there things that we can do in those moments where that challenge inevitably shows up in our lives that we say to ourselves, like just in the moment where I'm like, I don't know what to do, that we could have a blueprint to know what to do. And so that's the, that's the five practices. That's what I've gotten to develop and discover over the course of these last 20 years. And what that means is for all of us, you know, I said we all have resilient stories. You know, I didn't know that I was dyslexic until age 37. You know, wouldn't it have been great to have a sense of clarity about how I actually got to that goal of being in the highest reading group or some other goal that I had in my life, wouldn't it have been great to not had to do it, have to do it alone, you know, to not be the one in my like bedroom figuring it out at night? Wouldn't it have been great to have someone tutor me, have someone guide me, have someone come alongside me? And so now with the five practices framework, I think what's really on my heart is to get to share this roadmap with people so that none of us have to go through challenge alone. None of us have to wonder, like, are we doing the right thing? None of us have to wonder, 
is this going to like make a more positive and productive outcome? Because now with this framework, we know. Yeah, that's so powerful. You know, in your book, you also have a chapter on resilient parenting, which, you know, as a mom, I totally related with. And I'm listening to you as a little girl, right? I feel like, you know, that's a lot of where your chapter may have come from. Is there anything that you can tell parents or even people that just have kids in their lives? Like, is there something we can do in our own lives to help the kids in our lives to build that resilience earlier in life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say it's two things. One, recognize that our children listen more to what we do than what we say. You know, so if we say it's important to have a healthy lifestyle, but we're not being healthy ourselves, if we're trying to teach children about how to draw boundaries, but we're not drawing boundaries ourselves, if we say that it's important for them to invest in themselves and their education, but we're not investing in ourselves, you know, our children are going to listen more to what they see us doing than what we actually tell them. And the second thing is, you know, a lot of us out there had moments in our childhoods or maybe even our entire childhood wasn't good, you know? And so there's a lot of people who are like, okay, well, if I didn't have parents that I felt like, you know, were good or helpful, like how can I possibly shift that cycle? And the way to do that is while we maybe didn't have the parents that we would have wanted, or maybe there were moments when you know, we wished our parents would have done something different. We can always say to ourselves in, the, in that moment, how can I be the big person today that I would have wanted to have when I was a little person? And if we simply listen to that guidance, we've walked in our children's shoes and we oftentimes know what they need, and what we would have wanted. And it's this beautiful moment of both getting to show up as the parent that we want to be and by offering our children this parenting that we wish we would have had. There's something about that that also allows us to reparent ourselves in those, in those moments, to actually get the things that we would have wanted by offering them to our children. Yeah, that's so important. And I feel like I'm going back to like the I am statements, you know, and when there's a negative, I feel like sometimes this is true just in my own life. Like when I think about the negative ones, there's something usually that was like a deep rooted thing from my childhood. And it like gave me that permission to really work on that and then look at it from a perspective of like, okay, just like you're saying now, like how can I reparent that child and then give that to my kid so they don't do that. And like the one thing, the last thing I wanted to ask you too is what is like one thing, right? Because sometimes people pick up books, you know, and they're like, and, and you leave us, you leave us with this at the end. And I just, I think it's important to leave people with this on the podcast as well as they're listening. What is one thing someone listening right now can do today to build their resilience to live a life with more joy, more passion, and more purpose? What's something like something small that somebody can do today? I love that. That's a great question. Did you did you have a takeaway for you 
yeah. that, you, that you found in the book? Did you, what, what small thing did you take away? Cause I make a lot of suggestions about how to do this in the book. So, you know, I think this is how I perceived it, right? Like ending the book this way, you know, or like, this is how I took the ending of the book, right? So we have things constantly coming at us. Like I was talking about, you know, like the world is just a busy place. And so I think a lot of people, you know, they read these things and they go to these things and they learn all this new stuff and they feel empowered and they get home and they're like, oh my gosh, it sounds really overwhelming. Like, I don't know if I can do all of that. And so what I liked at the end of your book is that you made it very simple to do just like the one thing. So like you mentioned like, well, you wake up in the morning and you drink a glass of water, you know, and you decide that every morning you're the first thing you do when you wake up is drinking a glass of water, you know, and, and what you're doing as you're, you're proving to yourself that you can do something, you can change something in your life. You can, you have that resilience. And so I loved like how simple you can actually make this to like, because like you're saying, this is something all internally inside of us, but it is also like a muscle that like we get stronger at kind of using and correct me if I'm wrong. So if we can, if, if we are feeling overwhelmed, like if this is a lot, like if we can even just start with that one small thing. And I, I liked how you did that. Like you were, you were really vulnerable, you know, like finishing your book. It was, and like you were saying, like you, all these years of work and energy that you put into it, wasn't easy, right? Like this is, this was hard. This was energy draining. Like at times I'm sure it sucked the life out of you, right? So if you could just be good at doing like the simple things, like you can still build that muscle. You can still put on your Wonder Woman cape or your, you know, and go out into the world. (laughs) And that's what I got from it. Mm, I love that lesson. That's a beautiful <laughs> lesson. You 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 did it. Oh, <laughs> I'm just really? I'm recapping my what my mind took from the ending. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, you know, I think I think sometimes it's like I don't know. It's like um, you know, writing a book is like feeding people. You know, it's like well, I can I can make the food and I can offer it to you, right? But it's like it's like up to you if you want to consume it. You know, if you decide. So I love that. That that's what you that that's what you consumed. I'll just add on to what you shared, um, which is so I was at a, at a I was at a dinner party not too long ago, and there was a woman sitting next to my right, si- sitting to my right, and she was in conversation with another woman. I was kind of overhearing what they were saying, and she knew that my background was in neuropsychology, and so they're having this debate. And she turns to me and she says, "Is it true that you can change a habit?" in 30 days. And I was like, I don't know. And she's like, well, like, isn't your background in in neuropsychology? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it is. And I feel like you could change a habit tomorrow. You could just decide that you're no longer going to say, yeah, like, 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 why do we have to wait 30 days for that? You know, you can just decide that you're going to start making your bed. You're going to drink that one glass of water in the morning. You're no longer going to say this to yourself. When that 
person that you've been in some kind of relationship with that is not serving you texts you like you're just not going to text them back or you're going to block them or, you know, whatever it is. Right. And I think we are so much more powerful than we know. And it's like, we don't have to wait 30 days to make a significant change in our lives. We can decide right now that we're not going to do this thing anymore, or we're going to start doing this thing. And I think it's not so much about like putting in the reps and, and that's important, right? Like, like the whole thing about habits and investing, like that's all important, right? And for me, the single greatest thing that each of us can do is to just decide that we are not going to abandon ourselves anymore and we're going to invest in doing the thing that we want to do and becoming who we're going to become, even if we're afraid to step into like a greater element of our power, even if we don't think people are going to like it, even if our light's going to be super bright, we can just decide. Thank you. And this goes all the way back to the beginning when I was telling you on this podcast, like that people were like, no, it's just you. And I'm like, that's what I, that's what I said when, when people said that to me, I go, no, I just decided like, you know, like I feel like, and those are the moments in our life where like when we're met with that challenge or, well, you get to decide, you know, like when I found out I was pregnant, you know, my senior in high school, like, and my high school teacher tells me, oh man, you had so much potential. You know, it was like in that moment, I got to decide. I got to decide whether I was going to become the statistic she thought I was going to be or whether I was going to go after what I wanted in life. And I made a decision that it was simple to me. It was simple, you know? And so I love that you say that because like, that's exactly, I literally had this conversation with somebody like a week ago and it was like, no, Jill, it's just who you are. That's, and I'm like, no, no, it's not. It's just, I just made, I made a decision and I just kept going like even when it was hard. So I love that. Well, I have enjoyed this conversation so much. Um, how, you know, I, we know your Instagram. Is there any other areas that we can connect with you on? People can um, certainly check out the website, resilience-leadership.com. Uh, we've got lots of great content going on there. Uh, I have a podcast called Flourish or Fold, Stories of Resilience, where well-known people are sharing their lesser well-known stories of resilience. Thank you. And um, yeah, I think a lot of us are hanging out on Instagram and social media today. So uh, if folks want to just, you know, send me a, send me a note on, on Instagram. It's dr, like Dr. Dr. Taryn, T-A-R-Y-N, Marie, M-A-R-I-E. And, um, you know, if you or others are interested in sharing your stories of transformation and triumph, uh, just send me a message there. Uh, send me, you don't even have to write me a long message. You can if you want to. Uh, but if you're pressed for time, just type in book. And uh, my team and I will know to get back to you and share more about the compilation book. I love that. I'm so excited. Well, everybody, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Go grab her book.
the five practices of highly resilient people. It looks like this if you are watching this. And uh, this is a true roadmap to unlocking your potential and igniting positive change. Remember, resilience isn't just a concept. It's a transformative journey that empowers us to overcome challenges and embrace a life filled with purpose and joy. Stay tuned for more empowering episodes and don't forget to subscribe for more insights that will elevate your life. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Life Without Secrets. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Once again, thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.